listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. We're excited to announce that we've got a new member of our village. Baby James Austin Ferris has joined us, and we're so excited for you, Lauren and James, and celebrating you while you're on maternity leave. This episode was pre-recorded in advance of the baby's birth. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. I'm not Jen. (laughs) Nope, but... We are your resident best friends, here to help you along your relationship journey, especially after all of this stuff has been going on in the world and relationships are more important than ever before. We're those people for you. We are those people, Jen and not Jen, here at your service. And we're also your very own little personal fun fairies. We are going to bring joy to the process of dating and relationships and this new landscape that we're navigating through. Um, We are sprinkling love dust and connection all over the place because it takes a village and we are your community. You can find us at It's Complicated Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell a friend. That's right, guys. We want to bring you fabulous offers. So by sharing, we can do that. It takes a village, like we always say. So we keep the lights running with your love and support. So contribute to the village. We're just trying to survive, but without toilet paper, nail salons, and the lack of human connection, the struggle has never been more real. I mean, my nails are falling off one at a time. I have gray hairs. Ugh. So we are more than happy to have the creator of the Breakup Survival Kit, Noelle Cordeau, in to discuss the neurobiology of romantic love, non-monogamy, why the COVID-19 mayhem is more likely to help people fall in love, here's hoping for me, how to push yourself outside of your comfort zone with coaching, and tips for how to get through breakups and divorces in order to find love again. Oh, this is so helpful. So Noelle Cordeau is CEO and co-founder of Journey, J-R-N-I, Coaching. She is also a feminist scholar, an ICF certified coach, speaker, and sexologist. Love that. It's so like makes sex sound so techy. Um, she is a sexologist who specializes in the relationship with the self. Love this too. And that's all the time we've had right now is with ourselves. So everyone pay attention. She has carved out a unique niche in the world of coaching, combined a positive psychology with clinical sexology to help her clients gain true progress. Great combo. Who doesn't love progress? I feel like if you're not doing, if you're not seeing progress, it's not worth doing, you know? Agreed. She holds a BA in literature from Rutgers University and a graduate certificate in executive and professional coaching from the University of Texas at Dallas. So she's educated. She's here. She's going to coach us. We're ready for it because I think we need some help. Amen. She is going to supply us with some relationship survival tips for the pandemic and for breakups too. Welcome to the show, Noelle. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Where are you joining us from? I'm in Philadelphia, but I represent Journey Coaching, which is bi-coastal, Philadelphia and Los Angeles. Amazing. We love that. And also, we now know everything can be done virtually. So everyone could technically be bi-coastal, right? Yes, indeed. Indeed. It does it. Only your imagination. It's all you need. It's all you need. And maybe a pandemic to remind you <laughs> you can be resourceful. So let's just dive right in. Are you single, taken, it's complicated? What are you? I am taken. I'm married. Um, I identify as polyamorous and pan, but right now I'm in a monogamous relationship with my husband, not seeking any other relationships. Okay, so explain to people who, I think I'm sure most people know what those terms are, but polyamorous and pan, what exactly those mean? Yeah, so polyamorous is simply not monogamous. Um, with it depends on who you're talking to, but for me, and I think a lot of other polyamorous folks, it's not just sex. It's not swinging. It's actual wonderful, deep relationships with other humans. And if you're polyamorous, that other relationship doesn't necessarily have to be sexual either. Okay. So it's having different kinds of bonds with other people. And then pansexual just means that I am gender fluid in terms of my attraction palette. And if you're in a 
uh, polyamorous relationship, that means that you have your own private relationship, whatever that means under the spectrum of relationships, your own connection or bond with one other person that's not connected to another relationship, correct? Like a one-on-one? That's correct. Yeah. Or, you know, there are triads, polyamorous folks form triads. And there's also um, what's known as polyamorous constellations, where there are lots and lots and lots of different people who are somehow linked together. So there's no one size fits all as far as relationship style goes. And if you're now in a monogamous relationship, correct, then you, you and your partner have an agreement that you are just with each other, but obviously there's different gray areas of that. Like you can go off and have a poly, you can be polyamorous if you want, but that's has your monogamous partner would have to agree, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about trust, openness, communication, and negotiation. And I think negotiation is probably the key word there. Um, Sometimes my relationship is open, sometimes my relationship is closed, and it goes in chapters, just like life. How do you determine which chapter you begin or whether one ends? If I meet someone (laughs) or break up with someone. But, and then is that the same for your partner? Like, can you both, do you have to both decide to do the same thing at the same time? Or what if you're interested in having a relationship with someone else at the same time? Is there an agreement that is in place? How does this work? Because you mentioned negotiating. Yeah. So, you know, again, everybody's different, right? Um, but, you know, traditionally in polyland, ethics and communication is really heavy on the table. So, you know, if I'm out there in the world and I meet someone and there's mutual attraction, whether that attraction is intellectual, emotional, uh, sexual, or all three, I might say something like, hey, just so you know, I'm married, but I'm also non-monogamous. Here's what it looks like for me. And I actually use um, a graph. It's called a relationship smorgasbord. And on the relationship smorgasbord is all different kinds of aspects of relationship that someone might be into. So maybe somebody's interested in emotional intimacy. Maybe somebody's interested in just sex. Maybe somebody's interested in a friendship. Maybe somebody's interested in a business relationship. And all part involved have to agree on what's going into any given relationship. So I might, um, my husband is pretty chill. And, you know, if I go to him and say, Hey, you know, I met someone, he's like, good luck, God bless, have fun. Um, you know, but it's really the negotiation with the person who would be coming into my life. That's new that I take a lot of care with because I don't have all of my boxes on the smorgasbord open at any given time. I only have a couple. I'm a CEO. I run a private practice. I'm married. I have a very complex life. So the things that I might be looking for somebody might only check one or two boxes when that individual might be looking for seven or eight boxes. And you share all of those boxes in your married relationship. So if you're bringing somebody else in, you may not need or want or share all of those boxes with that person, depending on what you're interested in with them. Exactly. And also, you know, what is um, interesting is that we, I mean, I think, and I think a lot of people would agree that, you know, sexuality is on a, like a, a, a scale basically. So different types of relationships should basically be viewed the same way. I think that dating, what makes it so hard is that there are so many aspects to it. And like, for example, when I was dating and single, I was looking, there was times where I was like, okay, with just dating and having fun. But when I really got down to like brass tacks, I was looking for a relationship to be a partner with. Jen is happening to look for the same thing right now. But sometimes when you're dating, you run into people who are looking for something different. It might not be that they're polyamorous, but they're just like looking to have fun, or maybe they just need like emotional support, but they think they're confused and they think they just, they find that just by dating and then it doesn't work out. And I think that's what makes dating so complicated is that people don't recognize that they might just be interested in one aspect and they need to be kind of like honest about that instead of just placing it all under the umbrella of dating, because Usually the goal with that is, is to end up in a relationship of some sort, but that's not always what you need. 
You're spot on. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of other variables that go into this. Um, when I was dating before I met my husband, I had my top five, my top five non-negotiables. So if I was looking for, you know, my primary partner, as I would describe it, the person that I would live with, share a home with, the person that will know my parents, that I'll share holidays with, the person that I'll be a co-caregiver with, with our family, with our dog, somebody who I'll be social partners with, going out together, stuff like that. I had a list of my top five non-negotiables that I needed to find in that person. Person. There were also times when I was dating when I would see somebody and be just like, yeah, no, you're not going to be my person, but I like this, this, and this about you. And we can certainly share connection together for a moment of time and then move on. So I have a question for you though about that. Like, how do you even discover that you are this type of person, let's just say that you are, because at the end of the day, like you even introduce yourself with like certain labels. So like, how do you get to the point where you can figure out what labels you are and what is right for you? Because like, I think I'm a monogamous person, but I also may not even know what else there is out there to choose from on the list of choices. Yeah. So my story is interesting. Um, I thought I was a monogamous person and I, I'm on my second marriage. Um, so when I was growing up, I was you know, really hook, line, and sinker, all about getting married, having kids, the whole enchilada, very traditional life. And I got married and coupled very young. And um, when I got divorced, I was 29. And my whole world kind of turned upside down. And the life that I thought I wanted and the person that I thought I was from a relational perspective ended up not being true. Um, I also went back to graduate school for a PhD in human sexuality. And so I learned a whole lot academically about all of the different things that are out there in life. And what occurred to me is it's really hard for one person to fit all your needs. And I'm the kind of person that has really beautiful, deep, intense relationships. And I love those relationships. And I would describe that as falling in love. And I fall in love often with multiple people and it's not necessarily a sexually based relationship. And so that kind of got me thinking about, oh, well, how can I define this? How can I define this for myself? Another aspect of things is that sexuality changes over a lifespan and it tends to fall on several different continuums. I think, you know, the term monogamish was brought to light by Dan Savage, and that's something that people talk a lot about. Esther Perel talks about how she's been in her marriage and renegotiated it at least eight or nine times now. So even if you stay with one partner for very long, these things get questioned. Um, other areas that change over the course of a lifespan is your turn-on template, who you're attracted to, how you're attracted to somebody, and when. And that's based on your the way you're hardwired and also your lived experience. So you will change over the course of your life, just straight up fact. Um, there's also something called skin hunger. That's the extent to which you like to be touched. Some people shrivel up and die if they don't experience physical touch. Others are like, you know what? I'm fine without it. And then that's different and distinct from how often you like to have sex. That also falls on a spectrum. Some people are like, you know, I'm cool. We don't need to have that much sex or even on the spectrum of asexual where I love romantic things. I just don't like genitals all the way over to nymphomania where I need sex with genitals all the time. Yeah. I mean, it, to say, to put things in, you know, really black and white boxes, I mean, even within, you know, some of the labels that you associate with, obviously they're a box in its own way, but they're a little more open and fluid than like, I have one partner for the rest of my life or not. Like there seems to be a lot more variance within that. And if you, as you're explaining it, it just makes so much sense, no matter what you identify with. I mean, we, Jen and I have probably said, I don't know, maybe 10,000 times on this show, how different we are from when we were in our twenties to now that we're in our thirties, even just on the dating and relationship scale, not to mention like everything in our life. So to think that like that just stops when you meet a partner and you're just like, okay, well now we're doing this together forever. Like 
I am, you know, have a partner and I'm about to have a baby and we're monogamous, but like, it's crazy to think that that is just going to be it. You know what I mean? Like I, I know I'll be different in 10 years and so will he, and hopefully it doesn't cause a problem or anything, but like, I mean, it's just sounds like a, it sounds like a crazy concept to wrap your brain around that like you and this person will just be these two people for the rest of your life, especially like I said, knowing how much I've changed from like my 20s. It's just insane to like, I don't know. It's weird that society has put this like label on like relationships and what they must look like. And if they don't, then it's odd or weird or, you know, you've done something wrong kind of. Yeah. Barbara Fredrickson, uh, who's one of the heavy hitters in the world of positive psychology, has some really cool work on this stuff. And I like her perspective on it. She talks about the binary, which is one um, man, one woman, and that's it as a model. And how we've been trained via Disney movies and Hallmark movies and Hallmark cards and holidays to think that this is the way, this is the way things are, this is how things go. And if you even pull that back further and start looking at the economic structure of family life and why the binary got set up in the first place, it gets super interesting. But where Barbara Fredrickson arrives at is, okay, well, what is the neurobiological definition of love? And the neurobiological definition of love actually takes place in micro moments. And it's simply a micro moment of an agreement for mutual care. And those micro moments build and crescendo over a lifetime in lots of different ways. Okay, this is the the moment we're going to say there's like a romantic connection here and this is what we do to make that happen? It's not just a romantic connection. You can experience the neurobiological um, affect of love with your dog, with your best friend, with your mom, with your Uber driver, with the person who gives you your coffee at Starbucks. It's a, it's a mutual moment that requires eye contact. And if there is mutual care involved, you're experiencing love. Oh my gosh. Okay. I think I know what this is because sometimes you would describe like having a connection with somebody, but you can't explain why. And it doesn't always, or at least that's what I have said. Like, I remember meeting my really good friend, Noel, who actually set me up with my partner now. And he, he and I, we joke that we were brothers in a past life because we don't know how else to explain this connection, but he and I have a connection. And I guess that would be it. I felt that before too, like with other people that I wouldn't classify as romantic or anything like that, just like a friend or an acquaintance or something, but I, I don't know, Jen, do you, I've felt that before. Have you? I've definitely felt it. And I think at least in the dating sphere, like that's what maybe causes confusion between people and what they might make a little like mountain out of a molehill kind of situation where they possibly pursue a dynamic just because they think there's something big there, but they can't explain what it is. And they think it must be that they're like cosmic soulmates, but maybe it's just what you're saying and not to like diminish it and say it's just neurobiology because that's a big thing. But is it like just some sort of connection that happens and then like some mean more than others? Yeah. So let's, let's break this down because we can go in, in two different directions with it. So, you know, I actually pulled up the relationship smorgasbord to, to look at it and break it down. So one of the things to consider is that there is a big, huge difference between having these like big tumultuous feelings and then building a life with someone, right? So the components that bring these big tumultuous feelings are fun as hell, but they don't necessarily translate into a healthy, happily stable relationship. So on the smorgasbord, we have up for grabs is romantic love, which is chemical reaction, feelings of love. And I'm going to put a bookmark there because I want to explain that further. Now we also have friendship, companionship, playfulness, shared activity. Then we have domestic, which is sharing your home with someone, which as we all know, is a lot of work. And then we have sexual, which is separate and distinct from physical touch. Then we have life partner, sharing your goals with someone. That doesn't necessarily have to be with a romantic partner. 
caregiver, giving, caring, and receiving family members, co-caregivers, animal children. Then we have emotional intimacy, which is being vulnerable, separate from emotional support, social partners, financial, collaborative partners, and business partners. So as you can see from this list, you know, when you're thinking about all of the different kinds of relationships that you can have or ask of somebody, you know, it gets pretty complex. So let's, let's pause there and see what you guys think of the smorgasbord before we talk about what happens with romantic love. I think it makes total sense. Like I was, there was a couple in there that you had mentioned that I thought made sense for Jen and I, and that's another connection that I think we can both um, you know, say is like, felt like a kind of like cosmic connection because we definitely, Jen and I definitely connected like in a class that we took like right away and then realized that we on another level, like can communicate with each other, but without like verbal, without words. And, and so there was a couple of, and then we obviously are in business together and we should host the show together. And so we always say that we're like friend gauged to each other or all of that, because there's such a connection there too. Like it, I don't know, Jen, what did you think like business partner or even like life partner kind of made sense for you and I, cause we always consider each other for, for like stuff that goes in that nature. Like it's just goes without saying if a project comes my way I just include Jen in it because she's my partner like you would to a like your husband or your wife you know yeah I mean I think when we think of our friendship and our business partnership it sort of has gotten like grouped as one just lump we are partners in all things that I guess are not the things your partners in with James yes (laughs) totally and and we all have those relationships I think with so many different people in our lives like even different friends have like not fulfill different purposes but like you go to them for different things because you have a different sort of connection so um I guess I have always been in this school of thought where I don't feel like any one person has to be all things and I mean maybe in my younger years before I started to learn about this stuff I did think that and 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 sadly we do have that hopeless romantic ideal that like Prince Charming is going to come and he's going to save the day. And like, Oh, and he, and he would be all of those things to you that, that uh, Noel just mentioned. Exactly. Like it drives me banana town when people are like, we have this and we have that when they're in a couple. I'm like, why do you guys both have those things? Can't you both do some things separate? Why is everything a we? I thought you were two separate people that then became a couple and now you're a one person. And this is where it gets tricky, right? Because, you know, there's this expectation that the only way to live is through the binary. And, you know, especially doing the work that I do in coaching and working on alternative relationship styles and relationships, you know, even looking at something like social partners, there can be a wonderfully healthy, the awesome romantic partnership in a marriage where one partner likes to go out and the other, the other doesn't. So guess what? They're not social partners. Makes sense. Totally makes yep. sense. Ultimately, the way to like have sort of all of these things come to life is by communication. Like you've mentioned negotiating and renegotiating and all of that comes with communication. Now, what drives me bananas again is that in dating, because that's what I can speak to at this stage, People say like, oh, you don't want to be an oversharer. You don't want to say everything you want too soon. You don't want to scare people off and you don't want to write too much in your dating profile about what you want. It's like, why not? If that's what I want, that's what I want. Why can't I say it? Why is it so crazy to say? But it sounds like in the world and space that you live in, in terms of relationships, you're allowed to and required to say everything because you have to set expectations. Absolutely. And and honestly, as far as dating goes, you're right on. Like if like like let's just even, you know, pull this totally back and say, okay, you know, you're looking for a monogamous partner. If I was coaching you through this, I'd say, well, do you want to find somebody who wants to also be a social partner with you? Do you want to find somebody who's down with vulnerability? Because guess what? Not everybody is. Um, do you want to find someone who's going to collaborate with you, be a part of your extended family? Like that's really important to discuss upfront. Yeah. And I would say yes to all of those things. So like the way you phrase it though, makes it like makes so much sense 
that I wish more people were talking about it. Well, I think people just don't even think to think that. They they think of the, like Noelle mentioned, this binary Prince Charming Disney Hallmark person that's like supposed to be all those things when that's like kind of an unrealistic expectation because, I mean, I can think of a couple right now who sometimes has an open relationship and she has a very specific social personality and he does not and you're and they have to constantly negotiate through their relationship because that doesn't mean they shouldn't be together and that doesn't mean that because they don't fit into this like box of the prince charming and cinderella doesn't mean that their relationship doesn't work they've been married for like 15 years and they're fine they just they get different things from each other and i think it's hard to expect in the dating world today and you know in the recent past that you're gonna find this guy or girl that's gonna come in and be all of these things and then get disappointed when they fall short quote unquote in one of the categories it's like that's just you're not even all those things personally so why would you expect that from somebody else well i remember dating somebody and they were like oh like i really love camping i'm like that's cool i hope you enjoy it like go do it And they're like, well, no, I want you to come. I was like, but I don't want to go. They're like, but we're in a relationship. You're supposed to come with me. I'm like, no, I'm not. And I think this all falls into the category of know thyself, right? Like if, if this, so if that person was really specifically looking for a partner that they want to go camping with, it'd be really great to know that upfront. How do you like get all of this information upfront? Like, I mean, I guess it could go back to your story. Like when you met your husband, did you know that he would be open to your preferences? Did you have to negotiate that with him? And like, are like, what if somebody else is not open to it in the beginning? Does that mean you're not a match? That's what happened. That's exactly what happened. So we met and, um, we actually, he, he blew me off our, our first couple dates and I have a pretty healthy ego. It didn't really phase me. And, um, we find, we tech, we ended up texting for about a month and I left the country. I stayed in Australia for a little bit. I came back and we finally met. And since we had been talking, we both knew that this was something. And if we were going to be together, we were going to be together. And, and I was really upfront that I was non-monogamous. This is who I was. And um, he struggled with it and took a lot of time in the beginning of our relationship to figure out if he could deal with it, if he could contend with it. And in the end, it turned out that it's something that works for both of us because we are both very independent people and are in it for the long haul. And I love love. Like I love dating. And one of the sad parts about my relationship existence is that I'm also very familiar with breakups because that's just part of the deal. So it would be so sad for me to not get to experience this aspect of life that I love. And he wants my happiness and he's excited for himself too. Now that he's kind of gotten to a point where he's like, oh, this could be cool for me as well. Yeah, that is, and you said he's pretty chill, which is is funny because like if someone has a certain personality type, it might be harder for them to wrap their brain around, but because he's sort of chill, that probably helps him just, you know, have more an open mind or a different, like allow different perspectives to come in without feeling so like stilted about it because he, you know, it probably fits his personality too. It does. And, and, you know, this applies to folks who aren't polyamorous. So I have a really dear girlfriend and she's dating. And um, one of the things that we talk about a lot is what she wants. Like she'll meet these guys and she'll try to negotiate with herself. And, you know, she was dating a guy for a while who didn't like to go out and she's so social and she wants to be social with a partner. Like that's the thing that she wants. And I keep saying to her, why are you negotiating like your number one need away? find somebody who wants the same thing as you. Okay. So then that, okay. Now that is a a really good question that I think people who are listening need to start with. It's okay to negotiate like with a partner potentially, but like you don't want to negotiate with yourself on some very important things that you are must haves for you. Correct. Like that's the difference. Correct. And so I'll use my good friend as a case study. So um, she has a beautiful place that she's invested in over the years. She lives by herself. She doesn't ever want to live with somebody else. 
She wants her space for herself. We're both in our forties, right? So at this point, she's looking for a romantic partner, um, but not somebody who's going to be a live-in partner. So when she meets people, she needs to let them know up front, hey, listen, I'm not looking to get married. I'm not looking to live together. Well, I like that. I like that she can at least just say that and, and be open with it. And that, I mean, that's a, a deal breaker. You can't, you can't throw away deal breakers. Like whatever that is for you, whether it's camping or your living situation, like you have to be open with it. And I think it's harder for women because there's this, again, this weird societal construct that like we're supposed to like play hard to get and we're supposed to not look desperate and all of these things. And so if you say what you want, you're, you're ruining it. Then he's never going to want you because, or she will never want you because you're too easy and there's no challenge and all this BS that like, it makes women feel like they're not allowed to say what they want because of that or because they're going to look like a bitch one or the other. That drives me crazy. And there's also this idea that somehow the man is the prize, right? Oh, we're the prize. Or everyone's the prize. Love is the prize. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I I agree. We are the prize. But, you know, when you're dating, the point is to find somebody that you're compatible with, not to find somebody. And I think what happens is there's this idea that, you know, if if we're kind of looking at this historically and saying, okay, how did we get here? Well, marriage and the concept of a marriage used to be for economic purposes. And so when you quote unquote, got the prize, that was means to financial existence for many people. So I can see kind of how that got stuck in the public's consciousness. And now when folks are dating, it's like, oh, wow, you know, I have a boyfriend, I have a girlfriend, I've checked that box. And then there's this raft of disappointment that shows up because I thought you were going to be this. I thought you were going to be that. I thought all couples go camping together and so on. (laughs) (laughs) I am camping. Um, well, I won't be camping. But so, you know, now that, that that was the societal norm, let's just say you want to move into this other realm and have a more open and fluid lifestyle. How do you go about doing that, though? Like, do you put that in your dating profile or do you are there specific apps for that? Do you just say it when you meet someone so that you see if they're receptive to it? It, it, I mean, it really depends and it depends on what stage of the game you're at. Like if, um, you know, talk like if you want to move into a fluid lifestyle, kind of like what I do, um, it, I'm very honest and very transparent with everybody about, you know, who I am and, and how it works for me. I don't, um, I'm not on dating apps. If I meet somebody out there in the world and there is connection, I'll openly discuss, you know, where I'm at. And I, I've actually texted people the smorgasbord and just said, Hey, look, just please, I don't look, I'm busy. Look at this chart. Tell me what you want. <laughs> and I'll show you what I want. And then we'll see if it's a match. And if it is, we'll talk about it. Like, I love that. And actually, I mean, it, it helps people just to see it in black and white. And that's just, and then obviously you apply it to you and the other person. But if it just lays the rules out, it's like, no questions. This is how it works. Like, here we go. What do you think? Move on or don't. Like, that's yeah. like, I kind of like that. And I'm sure people appreciate that too, because it's not um, confusing or convoluted or, you know, and it's probably kind of easy to, you know, I'm sure you've had many conversations face to face, but sometimes you're texting because you just have to right now, it would be a good way to communicate because we don't really have the ability to be face to face. But like, with that said, how do you think like, you know, relying on technology is kind of like the only way to connect with people right now. And, you know, we were obviously talking about the neurobiology behind romantic love. And if you're like, trying to find that, Um, How do you think this pandemic COVID mayhem is going to make people more likely to fall in love or not? Like you mentioned, you thought it might make people fall in love. Like, why do you think, what's the science and the, the idea behind that? Oh yeah. We need to talk about dopamine. Okay. Dopamine is the culprit here. So dopamine comes up in our lives so much. So just, let's just start with technology. Every single time you get a text message, 
every time you get an email notification, an Instagram DM, a Facebook like, an Instagram like, anything that has a ding or a notification associated with it that is attached to communication or social media, you get a hit of dopamine. Dopamine mediates desire, a sense of arousal, a drive to continue once that activity begins. So it's largely associated with love, but it's incredibly associated with technology. That's why these um, apps have been developed the way they have, so that we're all hooked on this sense of dopamine waiting for the next hit. So if you are communicating with someone via technology who is also a prospective romantic partner, you are doing a number on your brain with dopamine because dopamine also comes on with early onset of romantic loves. And that's when you experience focused attention, where you have kind of, um, you aggrandize the person that you adore, where you can't stop thinking about them. You're listening to song lyrics and they're making sense to you somehow, where you're getting mood swings and looking for clues. That's all a result of an increase in dopamine. Um, And compounding it with the pandemic that's going on right now, you're more likely to experience that falling in love feeling, which is heightened dopamine, lowered serotonin, when you meet someone during a life crisis, when things are moving, when you're having a hard time, when they're a stranger, when you're faced with novelty or mystery, quasi-dangerous situations. And that's because dopamine levels rise when stress hormones are at peak. So it's a trifecta of your fucked. I was just going to say that does not sound good. And, and so how do, you, how do you know the difference between like really liking somebody and just like having this connection? Or how do you know then to go through this checklist and be like, okay, hold on a second. Like this is actually these things happening. And so it's kind of like a false love or like what we've talked about on this show before where Jenna and I say like it burns, like it's like a... Um, what, what is the term we use, Jen, where it, like it burns, it, it's a quick, a quick burn or something like, burn or yeah, or yeah, like you meet somebody and you fall, like we always say we don't trust that, like when you fall in love, like, or you like somebody like right off the bat really quickly and everything's so crazy and then like it just like burns out and a more normally paced sort of slower pattern where you build like a bond and a foundation feels like a little bit more legit. But I don't know, that kind of feels like what you're talking about there with that trifecta is that like that quick burn that just like goes away. Oh yeah. So something I say all the time is, is there's a huge difference between feelings and facts. And what we're talking about with the role of dopamine and the emotions that we're coming up with, those are all feelings. So the facts are that if you're looking at your relationship smorgasbord and the things that you really want from somebody in life, they may not line up. So it's it's holding the reality of your life, the reality of this other human's life, the reality of who they are up against the things that you want for yourself and then taking space to notice, okay, romantic love, is an addictive drug. It affects your limbic reward system. It's activated by dopamine. It's a hardwired motivational system. It's being compounded with technology and just really keeping a level head. Um, It's really fun to fall in love and it's really fun to be kind of enraptured by dopamine. So it can feel like this roller coaster. I always hate coaching people when they fall in love because they're just unreasonable and I can't get them to focus on anything. (laughs) like love is blind or like they have the rose colored glasses on or you've all we've all been or know somebody that's in a relationship with someone where we're we're like what in the hell are you doing that person is not good or whatever a list of negative things that you're just like how do you not see what is going on are you like just in and on another planet right now like wait get your head out of your ass like don't be with that person but it's like they just don't see it yeah, and it's it's true. So the 
the dopamine that folks are experiencing right now, uh, texting, sexting, DMs across the board. I mean, I think like along with the global pandemic of COVID, there's also a global pandemic of people screwing themselves up with technology and love right now, like seriously. Um, Have fun with it for sure, because it is fun, but be aware that when your serotonin levels come back to normal, when the threat is gone and when everybody's interacting in person, the person that you had constructed in your imagination and got all these wonderful dopamine hits from is probably not the real human on the other end. Oh, interesting. And so now also like, do you think like aside from the dopamine hit of like the technology and the interaction and the intention and all that, that like there's any sort of connection to because of the shared trauma potentially? Oh Yeah. 100%. There's trauma bonding across the board. Everybody's scared. Um, And so this is where serotonin comes in. So serotonin is a neurotransmitter that produces a sense of calm and mood stabilization and stops kind of obsessive compulsive type behavior. Serotonin levels decrease during romantic love. And when you're in fight or flight response, serotonin kind of goes out the window as well. So we have serotonin dropping down, cortisol is stepping in, that's your adrenal glands, physical, emotional stress, and high level of cortisol happens when you feel that dopamine pull and you really want to be with the person that you're talking to and you're separated. (laughs) So you're getting a secondary stress hit with those chemicals. Oh my God. Okay. This makes so much sense. And like, I'm trying to, I like, as you're walking through it, I'm like, yeah, that's happened to me. Yes. I can relate. Like go back to like the year 2000 when everyone like who had anxiety or anything like that, they gave them Paxil. Cause wasn't that drug just like straight serotonin, but then mm-hmm. it made you like, um, less sexually active. There was all these weird things. So it's so funny that people don't understand this at all. And it should be something that like is, I don't know, something, I mean, maybe you could say taught in school, but it should be something that we should all understand. And like, only if we have like coaching by you, are we going through all this? So why do you think that people need, I mean, people need coaching, but now more than ever with this happening, it sounds like, I don't want to say this is what you're saying, but it sounds like people shouldn't even be dating. Like it sounds scary. Well, you know, it's, it depends on your, on your perspective, right? So, you know, as somebody who engages in multiple relationships and thinks that love is wonderful and fun, um, I say, go for it. You know, this is a really fun time to be exploring things with other people because everybody is kind of in these heightened states. Um, there's another wrinkle that I'll throw into it. So, the part of your brain that is responsible for long-term pair bonding thrives and grows and lights up on verbal, intellectual, and emotional intelligence-based communication. So if during this period of time, you find someone that you're able to communicate with on a really deep level, you're going to start growing the part of your brain that is responsible for pair bonding. And that's when you're going to fall really deeply in love with this person. Now, that is also the same part of your brain that lights up with cocaine and opioid addiction. So if it doesn't work out, it's going to hurt like hell. Right. Well, but you're also there for that because you help people through breakups. Yep. <laughs> so also, that's something we need to dive into because I've now gone through however many that I've been through and I've sort of figured out what works for me in terms of like picking myself back up or also spotting where a breakup needs to happen before it lingers on and becomes like super volatile. Um, but what would you say is like the reason why people are not prepared for breakups? Like we're not taught this until you get a coach. It, you know, I stumbled into this education when I started my PhD, I didn't go into it, you know, with the intention to learn all about alternative relationships and romantic love. Um, I was, what I was doing in my PhD was creating applied positive psychology interventions for um, body image recovery, post eating disorders and sexual trauma. So I had this whole other goal. And then when I got into neurobio and I started learning this stuff, I was like, why isn't there a user's guide to your brain and body? 
And I've been talking about it ad nauseum as much as I can because I feel like this information has to get out there for folks, you know? Um, as far as breakups go, uh, nobody wants to go through a breakup. And I think, you know, I think it's too, when we're looking at the power of the binary, it's really shameful to folks to admit a failure in relationship. And so rather than actually get their needs met and actually get clear on what they want and actually have the bravery to face themselves and other humans, they linger and stay in things that aren't working and get sad and wish their lives away. And that's why we have such high divorce rates. Nice. And what, what do you think are the hardest types of relationships to get out of? Oh, goodness. The hardest types of relationships to get out of are probably codependent relationships. And yeah. the definition of um, codependency is where uh, one person or both partners takes on the needs of the other instead of their own and at the expense of their own and then feels bitter and angry when their own needs are not met. Okay. That's a good way to, it, that, that term has always confused me about like the specific definition and that makes sense. And I think that's, you know, when you're in a partnership and you're really close and you're, you know, you're the happiness of your partner is something that matters to you. It could get kind of blurry then if you're like, well, I really want this person to be happy and I'll do, um, I'll compromise or do some things to help with that because it means a lot to me that they're happy, then I could see how that could kind of blur into codependency because then all of a sudden, maybe it takes on a life of its own or you start focusing more on them than you. And then of course, you're not, you're going to feel like left out and like your needs aren't being met, but then you blame it on the other person or you think to yourself, well, I've done all this for you. What would you, have you done for me type of a thing? Um, oh, I can yeah. easily turn into that. Well, it's also like unreasonable expectations of somebody else. And I think that again, comes from like what you were saying about like the binary. And again, going back to poor Prince Charming, he's got a bad rap now, but he's did, he gave us all of our fairy tale dreams for so many years until we yeah. got educated on that. He does not exist, but yeah. Um, I, you know, you see other people in relationships and you see them fight constantly and you're kind of like, wow, I mean, I can't believe that person asked that person to do that. And then now they're mad that they're not going to do it. Like, it's just so unreasonable to think that another person is like, I remember just watching a friend fight endlessly and like really toxically. And it was just like shocking that they even stayed together because I was like, how many of those can you take before you have to call it quits? And they finally did. And like, they both found different relationships like pretty quickly. But I think just even watching somebody ask somebody to do something so outrageous and expecting them to do it only because they're in the relationship. Like you owe it to me because we're in a relationship, like whatever that pact is or that agreement of saying I'm in a relationship with you meant like the moon basically. I think a lot of it comes down to power dynamics, which is another really fun topic to get into. Um, so, you know, it's all about how people wield power. So if I'm kind of pulling this back and looking at this through a feminist lens, I'm like, all right, well, women have been socialized for the last 200 years to tend to literally everyone else's needs but their own. So this can play out in a couple different ways. It can play out for women where they have um, more of an inclination to kind of subsume their own needs for somebody else, or you get into what sounds like one of those avoider-pursuer dynamics where one person is asking, 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 and the other person is saying, no, 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 no. And what we have there is a power struggle. Okay. Yeah. Power struggles are, you know, you hear it a lot too. Like girls will just tell their other girlfriends, like take back your power and all that. Again, it's like very general. It helps to hear the specifics behind that because it's not just as easy as saying some catchphrase, like, you know, take back your power, for example. Like, well, what does that even mean? Like, yes, it makes sense. But like now that you've explained it. So if people want to get a little more in depth with things like what you're just talking about, they can go, they can like go onto your journey coaching. Um, it's J-R-N-I coaching. And then, you know, you, that's where you guys train coaches to do the work, right. To help other people, to coach other people, but you also coach as well. 
Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So I run Journey Coaching. I'm, I developed the program. I'm a co-founder, CEO. I love Journey Coaching. Um, we have 700 coaches. We're part of a coaching collective. We're actually offering um, free sessions to anybody who wants them during the pandemic. Um, so you can find a lot of great information about what coaching is, how it works. And the work that I do is a really specific niche inside relationships, feminist coaching through a feminist lens, alternative relationship coaching, and a lot of my coaches um, who I have trained also do this work. So if folks are thinking, wow, this is really cool stuff, I'm like, this is neurobiology combined with coaching. And you can find a lot of different ways to learn about it and then express it in your own lives. Okay. And we were helpful, especially if you're offering that right now, like people have time and also should be working on themselves if they are in a space where they are able to. Um, and I'm obviously going to take advantage of this because this is my favorite subject. And if you're willing and able to help, then great. Um, but you've also created a breakup survival kit. So how does that work? Where do we get one? What's in it? And why did you come up with this? Yeah, so the the break it's a it's a breakup and makeup survival kit, and this is something that I use in my own work. I'm I'm happy to share it with anybody who wants it. And basically, I just took all of the neurobiology that we're talking about and broke it down into sections and said, okay, you know, what do people need to know? Um, and step one is dopamine. <laughs> step one is the role of dopamine. And I think too, like really looking at the anthropological history of relationships, I, the first question I always ask is, how did we get here? So if you're interested in the breakup survival kit, if you're interested in the makeup survival kit, that comes through me, noelcordo.com. You can find me, you can ask me questions, you can coach with me if you feel like it's something you're interested in. Amazing. Well, I think everyone right now will need your help in some way, shape, or form. Any any relationship, <laughs> any stage of a relationship, like, I mean, I'm in a partnership and about to have a baby, and I can think of seven billion things that I want, like, Noel to help me with. So <laughs> I feel like it. this works for anybody. And right now, we've got time on our hands. So, like, I feel like people just need to like take advantage of this. This is really helpful information. Um, well, so again, your website where everyone can find you and then um, like even social media stuff, anywhere, anyone. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, and that's a tall ask for me to help everyone. So please come get <laughs> trained as coaches under me <laughs> so we can do this work out in the world. And you can find us at journey.co. And if you want to find me on Instagram, I go by kindness gangster. And if you'd like to find me online, noelcordo.com is my website. Awesome. Um, thank you. Thank again. you. This it's been a blast anytime. It was awesome. And um, I feel like we just definitely need to do this again because there's so many topics that got brought up that are just like their whole whole podcast on their own. So we would love to have you back for all of our master daters, as we like to call them, who listen to our show and you know are taking notes because we know we are too. So thank you again. Very, very informational. And if you guys want to tune in next week for an all new uh, episode where we talk more dating and relationshipy stuff, please do because we've got best-selling author and speaker of the truth about sex to a Rob Kowalski in. And um, don't forget to follow us at Complicated Show and It's Complicated wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow me at Lauren Leonelli on all the social meets. And you can follow me at Jennifer Golden on all the social meets. Talk to you next week. Love you long time. You're listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. 